and welcome to Investor's Paradise, the podcast that makes tons of investing-related topics easily accessible from a young mind's perspective. I'm your host, Aditya Iyer, and in this episode, I have a new guest named John Cohen. So can you give an introduction to yourself so you can tell the viewers and listeners what you do and who you are? Sure. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I, I'm excited to be on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. But uh, a little bit about me, I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, I am. Uh, I started in finance as a financial advisor. And the day Facebook IPO'd, I actually quit my job because I saw I was 23 at the time, 24 at the time. And I was the, I was the youngest in the training program by about 10 years. But I saw people who saw that saw it almost looked like their world was ending uh, and they were, you know, 80, 85 years old. Uh, and I just did not want to put myself in that position. So when I saw that I quit my job the same day that I actually started at Morgan Stanley and I wanted to turn to real estate cause I just had a passion for sort of being able to control what you're doing as opposed to the stock market, you know, stocks and bonds, you don't really have control unless you're a major investor in a company or major equity position in a company. So I, I switched over to real estate in uh, 2009. I was graduating college. I had bought some properties prior to that. But while I was a financial advisor, I had uh, I started buying properties on my own. And when I made the switch, um, I, I went full-time real estate and realized very quickly as a real estate investor, it takes a little bit of time to make money. So I got my license. I became an agent, started doing rentals and sales in Manhattan. And then I transitioned that up into commercial real estate. I ended up doing investment sales for Marcus and Millichap, specializing in multifamily investment sales. And at that point in time is when I decided that real estate was full-time. I stopped working at Marcus and Millichap to focus 100% on the growth of my company. Um, and since that point in time, we've acquired about four, 4,500 units uh, in the last, let's call it seven, seven, eight years. So um, that's, you know, that's it in a nutshell. Incredible. Yeah, you, you switch from finance to real estate. It's crazy. Taking control of your own destiny, right? <laughs> exactly. That, that was the main mission behind it. I've never, I'm 33 years old. I've never had a job except for when I worked for my mom and, you know, I was working part-time at her company, you know, getting paid out uh, by the hour. But other than that, I've actually never had a job where I had a salary. I've always been an eat what you kill commission-based job. And after all the jobs I've had and realizing that my company's taken 50% of my money or whatever the splits were at that point in time. Uh, I said, you know, they're really not really providing me with anything. You know, why, why am I going to give up my money? And, and I don't want to be as good as my last deal, which as a broker, if you stop transacting, that's it. I did not want to do that anymore. I wanted to, you know, be able to provide cash flow. where if I didn't get out of bed one day, my money was earning money and I had a business set up that would provide that. So yeah, I wanted to control my own destiny at at a, you know, at a younger age, I presume. But um, yeah, that was, that was my mission from day one. That's definitely a good mission. I I completely understand that. It's great. Um, So I know that you have a podcast of your own, uh, which is great. Can you tell me about that? Sure. I will. uh, I'll give it a little plug. It's the real estate investing experience. Um, we have a Facebook group, uh, it, we're on, you know, on all the major platforms, but what I can tell you is that, uh, this is going to come off pretty bad, but I'll, I'm, you know, I'm a no bullshit. I tell it how it is. 
I am not a lover of doing podcast. I think that it is a necessary evil to get out in front of everything. You know, one thing about our podcast is it is unadulterated, no hold back. We tell it how it is. And that was sort of the concept behind it. A lot of podcasts out there, in my opinion, are, it's the same thing over and over again. And where what we wanted to set out was to be authentic, real, not scripted, and just let's see how it goes. And the way we explain it is basically imagine grabbing a beer, grabbing a coffee with a friend, and you're just talking real estate or talking whatever. That's what we wanted to put out there so people can get a little bit of a different spin than just your prototypical podcast. So we wanted to do it a little bit different. Uh, Do I love doing it? Yes and no. I love meeting people. I love talking to people. I love the interviews. That's great. It's fun. Uh, it's super time consuming though. Um, I'm sure you know that just by, you know, the one that you're doing, you know, you have a lot of time that gets put into it and that's time that you can't do some other things. So you have to be able to have good time management, I think, to put out a good, to put out a good podcast and whether our, we have a good podcast or not, I have no idea. I know that our numbers are growing. I know we get a lot of good feedback, but, uh, you know, we, we put some time and effort to it and it, it's been fun. We've, we've got to interview some really good guests. We've got, you know, uh, some really good value out of it. We met some pretty good people. So it's, it's been fun. That's great. That sounds great. And you know, for all the listeners out there listening to this podcast, I, I recommend you go check it out. It should be really fun. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, you went from finance to real estate. So why real estate? You know, what led you to that area specifically? Why not other stable jobs? Yeah. So, uh, I think the biggest thing for me, uh, I am a type A personality. I am a very competitive individual. Uh, I took that not only from, you know, my mom and my wife and everyone will say that I'm the most stubborn person in the world. And basically I'm not going to take no for an answer. Uh, when I was a financial advisor that really, you know, you cut your teeth pretty hard when you're making 500 cold calls a day, just basically being told no all day long. And I, I just saw the opportunity was, you know, I'm selling a stock or selling a service, invest in the stock that I tell you about because I have a really good pitch. But you really, as I said before, you have no control. What I liked about real estate is that if you underwrite properly for your own metrics, right, how we underwrite may be different than how other people underwrite. And we may want a 20% return or a 40% return and someone may want a 5% return. So based on working backwards of what you're looking to achieve, you can really do your homework and understand what you're getting yourself involved with. And, you know, they say two things in, you know, real estate, location, 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 and you make your money when you buy. Uh, And those are two principles that we live by. You know, we do a lot of research. We understand what we're buying. We buy C-class property and B-class property, but we understand the the, the sub markets. We understand the demographics and we are very attracted to basis where we're well below replacement cost, where, you know, our average rent metrics with our per door pricing, and you can put a lot of the control in your hands and, and you could, can, I don't want to say you could control what happens because Corona will hit or COVID-19 and you can't control unemployment and stuff like that. But if you underwrite to the metrics that you're looking for and you've protected yourself and you have a good break, even occupancy, you're not over leveraged, you can significantly help the control that you may have by looking at an asset, underwriting an asset and buying it. So for me, the switch from finance to real estate was just more or less having control. And I like to see, feel and touch of real estate. I tell all our investors, hey, come to the property, do due diligence with us, You know, see it, feel it, touch it, get to know it. 
and get to know it like we do. And it's different than buying, you know, a thousand shares of Facebook, right? It's great. It's gone skyrocketed. But at the same time, if something happens and you have no control over that company, you could wake up and your and your and your value could be halved or your value could triple. In real estate, it's not gonna, you know, you're not gonna wake up tomorrow and your value is gonna go up hundred percent. But at the same time, you can go to bed at night knowing that you've done everything that you could possibly do to put it, you know, put it together the right way. Absolutely. Absolutely. That stability that knowing that you can, you know, slowly generate money over time instead of the huge volatility like you mentioned. And Correct. Suddenly your valuation goes up like crazy. Sometimes it crashes. You know, that stability. I totally get that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously you're the founder, CEO of Toro Real Estate Partners. And, which is a pretty big company now, real estate, you know, 4,500 homes, which is crazy cool. Um, I never thought of um, even like buying like five houses max would be crazy. 4,500 is like, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> so uh, can you talk about how you built that company from the ground up and, you know, what they do now? Yeah, no. I, so when we, when I first came together, uh, you know, my vision was not what it is today. You know, I think I wrote on a board, you know, I want a hundred million dollar investment business, a uh, hundred million of total assets under management. And shortly after starting, you know, it was like maybe a year and a half, two years in, you know, we eclipsed the, the 200,000, the 200 million mark of, of properties acquired. And it was just you know, exponential growth after that. I think the, the key was buying property, getting involved in any way, shape or form, whether it was helping someone raise money, helping people find deals, help people, you know, introducing them to the right lenders. I got involved with as many deals as I possibly can out of the box, obviously, understanding each and every one of those deals and taking a deal from A to Z, buying it, executing your business plan and selling it. Uh, if I didn't get involved in all those, I don't think we'd be where we are today. But that was the the launching point for our business to come together to acquire as much of, you know, 300 plus million dollars, 40, you know, 4,500 4, doors. Uh, now we've sold about half of those and we're always looking to buy more and always looking to sell. But, uh, it was basically just coming together, really focusing on what we were looking to accomplish. And that goal was, you know, providing great returns to investors. We invest in all our own deals. So we believe in every property we buy. We're not just syndicators that don't, that don't put any money into the deal. We're typically putting in 30 to 50% of the total capital. So every deal we buy, we are pot committed to it. We have our own money in it and we are, you know, we, we believe in the opportunity. Uh, and the goal out of the box was to be a group that, you know, is going to put their money where their mouth is, is going to execute a business plan uh, and to, uh, you know, take calculated risks on heavy lifting value add deals. And where we sit today, uh, nothing's changed. The market's changed a little bit. So we're a little bit more cautious when we're buying something where, you know, early on, I think over the last seven years, it was hard not to do well because the market's just gone so crazy and there's been so much capital chasing deals that we, you know, we had very opportunistic deals that we would never buy today. We bought, we executed, and we did, you know, we did well. Um, we're a little bit more calculated today on what we buy. That's probably the biggest change. Um, you know, we are working towards internal goals of, you know, in-house management. We are working towards, you know, in-house construction. We want to bring everything under our control so we're not as relied. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't rely on third-party management and third-party construction because we've seen what could happen if a guy doesn't show up and, you know, and now those same things will happen if they're under your control. But if you can hire properly and staff properly, you can mitigate a lot of your risks. So, you know, our internal goals are to grow our company, grow our platform. You know, we want to be the one-stop shop 
for real estate investors, you know, where you can come and, you know, we want to build out our multifamily side, which we, you know, that's our bread and butter. We want to build out the other platforms that are available to us. And, you know, that's the long-term goal in the immediate future. You know, our bread and butter is value-add multifamily properties, you know, in the Midwest and the Southeast. And that's our, that's our core business and it will be, um, but we're going to look to expand off that, you know, any way we can, hoping that there'll be opportunities in the near future. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. You know, I like how you said that you, you're starting off from partnering with everybody to kind of vertically integrating everything, right? You know, taking everything in-house, trying to, you know, not depending on other people for, you know, coming late or something. If you can do it in-house, that's the best possible option, right? 100%. Yeah, 100%, right? <laughs> so uh, most of the listeners to my podcast are, you know, real estate investors, right? Or potential new investors, not really big institutional firm people, right? Um, so do you have any tips or tricks or any advice you can give to retail investors for real estate, either investing or selling or any, anything like that? Yeah, I would say, uh, the retail investor, the biggest tip that I can give anybody is, uh, don't get involved, right? Invest in something. I, I tell people all the time and, and the best investment you can make can be the one that you lose your money on. Cause you're going to learn more from that than you will from never making a mistake. Mistakes aren't bad. Everyone that's invested in real estate has made them. If, they, if they've told you they haven't, they're lying because no business plan goes A to Z a, you know, according to the alphabet. You're going to run into some bumps and you're going to have some hiccups and things aren't going to go your way. A good real estate investor can fix problems quicker than a investor that may not have a good network or may not be able to fix problems. So the biggest tip I can give to a, re- a retail investor is understand what you're looking to accomplish and work backwards. If your goal is appreciation, you don't buy property in the Midwest, right? You you buy property in growing markets. So just understand what you're looking to accomplish and work backwards to achieve that goal. Don't be afraid to make mistakes because you're going to. And if you think you're going to do it perfectly, you probably wait three or four years or, or two years or even six months. And next thing you know, you, you've missed opportunity. Missing opportunity is not bad, but you, you want to get involved. So the biggest tip is, you know, get involved, get active, you know, put your money to work and, and let it go to work. That's the biggest thing that people sit back and wait for the perfect opportunity. And people always think the grass is greener on the other side, but they never get there. So they don't know. And they're always waiting for, you know, what if, so I say, you know, go, you know, head over heels, get involved, make an investment, uh, and just understand what you're getting yourself involved with. If you understand what you're doing, you could typically fix mistakes if they come up. Absolutely. I, I love the analogy you said. You took the words out of my mouth. The grass is greener on the other side. That's exactly what I was going to say. And that that's very true, you know, um, especially when like buying your second house or your second property that is not for you, um, you know, generally for appreciation or for rent. People don't, they, they're afraid to make a mistake, right? Because, you know, they're risking a large amount of capital for a house like that. and it's really tough, you know, especially during this time, right? People aren't in the situation. They aren't in the financial state to throw down money to buy a house or even like, you know, slowly pay it out over multiple years. Um, but yeah, I think the real crux of that is very important. The The fact that making mistakes are fine, you know, um, it, it's important. It's making mistakes helps you learn more than the victories. Absolutely. So I tell people all the time, if, if you've never made a mistake, you're probably not growing as fast as you possibly can because you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your wins. When you, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And if everything you do works, 
you, you don't, if you make a mistake, you're not learning. And, and those are, you know, you get knocked down, you get back up, right? That's just the bottom line. So you're hundred percent right. Uh, you have to put yourself, you have to feel uncomfortable in what you're doing because that means you're probably making the right decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. You know, I, you know, I play sports as do many people and it's often that the, the losses make the victories more important. They make them better. Because if you win every time, you know, after a point, it gets repetitive. It doesn't get as satisfying. But if you lose, if you lose, if you lose, and you get back and you win, eventually you know that you learned from those losses to apply them into victories, right? That's the kind of transition you have to make. And it's obviously very important um, to lose. And speaking of losing, this can be a very risky uh, thing to happen. Flipping houses. Flipping houses can be extremely risky uh, in the, uh, the real estate market. So uh, what are your opinions on flipping houses? Do you think they're a good thing or do you think they can be a good thing, but are often bad? Like what's your opinion on that? So I think HGTV and all those shows have glorified house flipping, right? You know, when they put the numbers at the end of the show, they don't factor in interest. They don't factor in taxes, right? They just show they bought it, they renovated it, they sold it, boom, profit. There's real estate commissions, there's holding costs. Um, Renovating houses is it could be, listen, I know people that are making tremendous amount of money flipping houses. The problem that has happened is because of all these TV shows and, and all these, all the competition in that space is that it's made the margin of error. You know, it used to be 65% of the ARV after rehab cost. I've seen some markets where it's 85% after rehab cost. So you have a margin of, of error that is so small when you're buying a house from the 1950s or the 1970s, you know, you go into that house, you don't get to de- you don't get to demo it and say, oh, I'm not going to pay this much. I'm only going to pay this. It doesn't work that way. You you knock down a wall or you take a wall down and you find out that you have asbestos or you find out that the wiring has to be rewired. Those are major costs that come up that the TV shows don't glorify. I think flipping houses are great. I mean, one of the best deals that I've ever done was a, was a loss of about $85,000 was a house flip with a bad contractor. But it was the best thing that could have happened to me because that was the solidifying factor of I'm never going to do this again. You know, And I had experience flipping houses. I flipped a couple of houses that were tremendous deals. But the way I look at it now is the less work that I have to do on one house, I don't mind doing you know $10,000 a door on a 200 unit property because you have 200 units there. But for me to go into a house that I buy for 100 I put in forty thousand dollars. I'm all in it for one sixty, and the market's at one eighty. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say I don't believe in that, but I just don't think that that's that works. Now, that being said, my opinion on it: if that's how you want to start, dive in head first and do it because I think it works, and you can do, you can make a good income and a living doing it. Now, the taxes on it are not the greatest. You pay ordinary income tax, so you have not good tax benefits as what we do on the multifamily side. But overall, um, I tell people all the time, listen, if that's how you're going to get started, get started. I I like them. I think flipping houses is cool, right? There's something to be said about taking an old, something old, making it new. It's attractive. It's sexy. It it looks nice, right? You could put your spin on it and it could work out really well. I just always tell people, you know, just be cautious about it, right? Really understand who's doing your renovation, who knows your numbers, you know, don't, you know, buy a three bedroom house, two bath, and then buy a one bedroom house. But it, Make sure you have a, a business plan. We're only going to buy 1985 brick ranches with three beds and two beds, right? If you have a carbon copy property, you're, you're more likely to succeed. So my opinion is 
I think it's cool. Everybody likes to do it. It's the sexy story that's out there. And I'm not telling people not to do it. Just make sure you know what you're doing when you get involved and make sure you know, you know, the rules and regulations of it. Cause you, you could make one mistake and your profit goes away pretty quickly. Yeah, that's true. The risk is, uh, can, can be pretty bad. It can be pretty high if, you know, if you don't know what you're doing. So if you have that vision, if you do the research in the, you know, the area, the neighborhood, what, what things are good, what things are bad. If you take into account the costs, like you said, asbestos can be in the in the walls, rewiring, all that stuff. If you take those things into account, you know, you can really create that risk reward kind of ratio and go for it head in. You nailed it. I think bottom line investing, that that's the the key is your risk reward, right? I tell people all the time, how I measure risk reward is if I can go to bed at night, knowing my decision is not going to cause me to stay up at night. That's how I measure risk reward because I, I don't want to be losing sleep over, uh-oh, what happens if this doesn't get done on time and I have a loan coming due and all that. So I, I say, can you go to bed at night without losing sleep over your decision? Right, right. Um, so yeah, uh, let's, let's move on. Uh, there are you know many aspects to what makes a house you know appreciate faster or slower than other houses. Um, you know, the neighborhood, um, schools, parks, um, transportation nearby. Uh, so can you tell us uh, what you find to be the most significant aspects uh, that either, you know, make a house good or bad? Yep, I would say, and I'm not a real estate agent, so I could say this and it's not anything wrong about steering or anything like that. I would say the number one thing that I would look for if I was looking for appreciation, uh, good or bad house, school district, Um you got to figure people buying a house, have a family, they want a good school district. If you follow good school districts, you will probably significantly cut the risk off that you're working at. If you're trying to flip houses in rougher areas with the school district not being as good, that's where you're going to probably, you know, you potentially can run into some issues. So if I was picking houses and picking an area that I believe would be better than others, um, whether, you know, better is cash flow or, or appreciation, but I would, I would stick to school districts and, and making sure the school district is a good school district. I see. I see school districts. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty important one. You know, especially you're, you're in a, you're in a family, uh, family house business, which is, you know, they usually have children. Schools are important. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So this is a question that I like to ask to all my guests at the end of the podcast. Um, it's, it could be about anything. So no, it doesn't have to be related to real estate. It could be about anything you want. But um, if you can go back 10 years in time, about 10 years, it could be more, it could be less, but you know, around a 10-year time horizon, um, what advice would you give to yourself? So that's a great question. And I give the answer that I bet nobody's ever given before. I tell people all the time, if I can go back 10 years and give myself advice, I would tell myself to do exactly what you did because what I've accomplished and what I've been able to do over 10 years has worked. And it's a loaded question. The answer people most of the time say is I would, you know, I would have started invested earlier. I wouldn't have went to college to play baseball. I would have, you know, started working, right? You know, I would have invented Google, right? Those are, you know, those are the easy answers. I, I, I go back and say, if you would have made a major change 10 years ago, I might not be in the position I am today. I'm in the position I am today because I, you know, I got knocked down. I had different jobs. I, you know, I was a commercial broker. So I tell people that the advice I give myself is that just you know, do what you, you know, don't change a thing because what you've been able to accomplish is great. Now that's not the answer you're looking for. So I'll give you the answer you're looking for. If I could, if I go back 10 years from now, 
uh, the th- when I joke around my parents, if you would have told me about real estate when I was younger, I probably would have dropped out of school and I probably would have just started buying property. But it's a joke. I, 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 10 years ago, I would tell myself, you know, take more risk because when you're, I'm 33 or 23 years old, you could mess your life up four or five times by buying a property and getting foreclosed on, buying a property and losing all your money. At 23, you can make whatever mistake you want to make. And if you learn from those mistakes and you write down everything that went wrong and not make the same mistake twice, you are going to be ridiculously successful 10 years prior. I would have, I would have taken more gambles on deals that, you know, I really felt confident in, but I, I chickened out or I got scared. Um, 10 years ago, I would tell people take more risks, take more gambles, you know, get involved. And, and if you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world when you're 20 years old, you can make a lot of mistakes and most 20 year olds do. But if it is, if it's in the, in the real estate space, it's where I'm at. I would have probably taken more gambles on properties that worked out just fine, but I was a little scared to, you know, move the price a hundred grand. But, uh, that's what I would tell myself. Just, you know, take more calculated risk. That's really interesting. You know, I don't really, yeah, none of my guests said take more risks or do exactly the same thing. They're all like, yeah, I would have changed this. I would have changed that. I would have told myself to, you know, whatever, right? But this is good. I like that. This is That's the whole point of this podcast, to, you know, get different ideas, different insights. And um, yeah, uh, it makes total sense. You know, I'm going to go tell my parents now. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm going to go take a risk now. Um, see you. And they're going to have to say yes. Because, you know, you, you're here telling me I should. So there you go. No, I, but we have a, um, we have a couple younger investors that are younger kids that work for us and they, they come to the table and they say, well, you know, here's a really good opportunity. And I, you know, I, I beat it up pretty good. Um, and I beat it up for the fact that, you know, for my shoes today, the risk doesn't make sense. Um, at the same time, if I was doing that deal by myself and that's what I tell them all the time, Hey, if this was my first deal, I would do it. And I roll my sleeves up and I'd get dirty. And Yes, you know, I, I get a parents call me all day and say, you know, what do you tell my kid to take more risks for? But at the end of the day, um, I don't think there's a parent out there. You know, I'm not saying go out and, you know, go get, you know, go find yourself at a strip club and, and doing some stuff. That's not the risks I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, you know, if you've underwritten and you feel confident, don't let your confidence or your lack of confidence or fear get in the way of making a decision. If you've educated yourself properly, you probably know more than most of the people you're competing against and don't feel scared that you miss something. Oh, I didn't underwrite for an earthquake. It's a ridiculous thing to underwrite for. Forget about it, right? If you did the homework and you and submitted it, you're, you're going to be fine, right? It's, it's just like going through high school. If you've studied and prepared and you take the test, it may be a hard test and maybe you get an 84 or, or 74 or a 54. But if you did everything you could and you went in there and you did it, well, you know what? You might not have done well, but you're going to learn a lot more from a 54 than you will from a 100. 100, you're going to say, oh, that was easy. I don't have anything to worry about. But a 54, you're going to sit back and you're going to say, uh-oh, I got I got, to gotta be a little bit smarter. So I tell people all the time, you know, roll up your sleeves, get dirty, and don't be f- scared. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that you're down to earth. You know, you, you say... If you make a mistake, so be it. That's totally fine. I like that that confidence, that lack of fear. That's absolutely what you should have uh, when going in. You know, I mean, I, I'm not saying that you should be like overconfident because 
that's the worst thing that could happen. But know where you're at, you know, um, have that, um, that confidence in yourself that, hey, this is what I'm capable of. This is what I'm going to do. Work your hardest. Try to do it. If you fail, try again, you know, bounce back. Um, it's never over um, until it's over, right? It's never over until it's over. Um, bouncing back is probably the most important thing out of this whole session. Uh, yeah, um, this is great. Um, awesome conversation. I think I learned a lot. I don't know if my listeners learned a lot, but I definitely learned a lot. Uh, this is a great conversation. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. This is great. Oh, no, I, I, uh, I appreciate it. Right, it was different. It was, uh, it was definitely not the normal questions you get. Um, I'm hope I was able to provide some value to all your listeners. Um, and obviously, if anyone has any questions or anything, I, I recommend anyone uh, reach out, ask me any questions you have. I'm, I'm more than willing to, you know, give anyone the time of day. And if I can help in any way possible, don't hesitate to ask. They'll do. I'm sure they'll do that. Um, well, thank you. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that concludes this episode of Investor's Paradise. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this podcast and gained some useful insights on investing. Once again, I'm your host, Aditya Iyer, and I'll see you in the next episode.